Yes, indeed. Here is Timo. Timothy Moore back on the air. So good to be with you, everybody, here in the Portland metro area. Wow. It is so great to be back. And I got to tell you that coming back during a time of a pandemic is a little bit surreal, actually. And I never thought in my life, folks, that I would actually be somebody who lived through something that I've heard about historically, for example, the 1918 pandemic that we once called the Spanish flu, why we called it that. It didn't have anything to do with Spain. But nonetheless, you uh, can look back at that and say, okay, that was a a pretty crazy time, uh, not just in the United States, but around the world. But that was history. And then all of a sudden, here we are, right here, 2020. And it's like, my generation is now experiencing this. So like a lot of you, I've been going through that social isolation, social distancing, all of these things. And we're going to talk about some of that today about uh, whether we should open up the economy. uh, How do we understand how the leadership, both in Washington, uh, locally and as well in the state and so on, are handling and dealing with all of these things And so we're going to take a look at that today. Uh, But before we do that, I want to just tell you a little bit about uh, how this came about that I'm back on the air. Well, well, first of all, uh, you might recall from the past that there was a thing uh, that we used to do, and we actually talked about the land of oddity, which I think is kind of already the Portland metro area anyway. But somewhere along the way, about two years ago, I passed through the shimmering wall of weird and just got lost. Uh, but thankfully, Roger, our producer here at the Impact Radio Show, he managed to go looking for me. And kind of like the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz, I was found over in some corner a little bit rusty. But he said, he, you know, he talked to the management at the station and said, You know, I think if we get a Swiffer duster, we can kind of dust this guy off, go get a little WD-40, a few squirts, and maybe we can sit him down in front of the mic and kind of get him going again. And so they're looking at me, and I'm like, I don't know, I'll try. And so here we are. And uh, speaking of uh, the wall of weird, well, pretty much every day, folks, when you tune into this show, it's going to be a little bit of everything, going to be a little bit of the wacky and the weird. Uh, We're going to get serious uh, with the topics that are out there. But also uh, we want to bring in some really great guests, business leaders, nonprofit leaders, book authors. Uh, But I really want to focus a lot on the community here in our metro area. Now, of course, the show is heard internationally through our podcast in 32 countries. But that said, we have this incredible local community right here in the Portland metro area. And it doesn't matter which county you're in with regard to this area. There's just so, so much good in this area. And we want to talk about that. And so I want to keep this show every day as upbeat as possible. Yes, we'll tackle the serious topics and everything, but we're going to try to do our best to keep it upbeat. You know, folks, there's so much division not only in our country, but around the world. But this division has caused us to, to sort of have a, a, a national or international state of depression. I don't know any other way to put it, but the reality is that this too shall pass. You know, other generations have dealt with a lot of difficulty, whether it was World War I, World War II, or even more recently when, with the 9-11 and all of that, and the the downing of the Twin Towers in New York City. And I'm pretty amazed as well that I have now one who has lived through that, and now also this pandemic. And I joke around sometimes, you know, I've lived since the Johnson administration. (laughs) You think President Johnson all the way now to President Trump, but uh, this week, folks, I'm going to turn 56 years of age, and I marvel that I'm four years away from being 60. I can hardly believe it. But I'll tell you, I don't feel like it. I feel young. I feel energetic. And I want this show to reflect that, to be a young and energetic show, because, folks, we don't need to be depressed about all the things that are going on. And I hope that as we go through the course of the next hour, that you will uh, come to that place of, of feeling a little bit of hope. 
And so uh, now I want to talk about uh, what, for me, this pandemic has met in terms of my own life personally. Now, what I've been wondering about is this, what we call the new normal. And I will honestly tell you, in a way, I think the new normal is abnormal. But I'll give you an example. Whether you go out shopping at the supermarket or a Costco or anywhere you go now, Target stores, Fred Meyers or any other place, and also wherever people go in their respective countries, the thing is, how strange is this that we suddenly see everybody with mask on and the social distancing, you got to be six feet apart and so on and so forth. And then you get this, uh, you know, some guy with a or gal or whatever with a with a bullhorn, and they're out there and they're basically doing this. They're like, "Okay, I'll make sure that you're you're six feet apart from each other, and and when you go to the store, be respectful." Oh, blah 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 blah. You know, and and so we go through, and all of a sudden I'm just like, "When did I end up in the fascist states of of America?" I mean. You know, I get it. Okay, we got to have social distancing and everything, but it's not normal to act like that. And then this, well, I don't think we should ever shake hands again. You know, really? I mean, shaking hands is a time-honored tradition, especially when you close a deal in business or something, or you greet a person. And then this this stuff you hear all the time, you know, don't touch your face. You know, <laughs> I must touch my face about 200 times a day, even now, and I know I'm not supposed to do it. Why? Because we're creatures of habit, folks. We can't help ourselves. So, yes, we're going to cross each other's paths and, you know, don't breathe my air and all these kind of things. And I, you know, I don't mean to make light of it. I'm laughing a little bit about it. But I, 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 I laugh more because of the peculiarity of the whole thing. But, folks, you know something? We are, we're the kind of people that... Uh, we forget civility sometimes in these situations. We forget that, you know, that guy over there or that, that woman or that child, and they've got their mask and they're shopping and they're just trying to get their groceries and all that. They're, they're you. They're me. We are each other. We are supposed to be together through all of this. And we start confronting each other because we didn't stay six feet apart. And this that people aren't doing it on purpose. We, we end up in, in sometimes a, a compromised situation where, you know, yeah, we're trying to be no more than 10 people or 25 people in a, in a building or situation or whatever, but these things happen. And yet, sometimes we forget that that's my brother, my sister over there. And folks, I want to remind you something. You know, every person is precious. Every person matters. So we should not be so crazy about all of these things but at the same time yes i agree that there needs to be some uh, restrictions as it were and this and that at least at the beginning for sure now as the show rolls on today i am going to talk a little bit about i think the government overreach but i do want to say to you that i think in the beginning we needed to have extreme measures here with this pandemic so I do not judge that. I believe that whether it was from the president all the way down to the governors of the respective states and even local leadership and so on, yes, we needed to say we have to go extreme here. We, we need to shut down restaurants and other businesses and, and hair salons and barbers and all these things. Speaking of which, wow, do I badly need a haircut. I haven't had one in like six or seven weeks, something like that. It's like, wow, I've gone back to my 1980s rock and roll days. You know, I, uh, I think if I teased my hair out, it'd probably go out about two feet. Anyway, <laughs> and I'd have to get lots of hairspray to hold it there. But, you know, folks, the thing is, it, at the beginning of all of this, when we started to realize that this virus was, was starting to really, as it came out of China, and I don't think there's anybody who disputes that today, that it started there in Wuhan, China, and it has moved out. And, and at that time, and I, and I really, in some respects, don't blame China 
for not putting in more restrictions right away because I think sometimes we don't realize the true magnitude of what's actually happening. And so people, uh, you know, they get a virus, uh, it goes from the bat to the civet to a human and, and so on. And then all the the sudden, here you are with somebody's getting on a plane and then it spreads this way. Well, look, we all saw the, the, the movie, right, Outbreak. It's like patient zero was the monkey kind of thing. Well, in this case, I guess patient zero is the bat. And then whoever the human was that got the virus and and subsequently spread it to other people, well, then we get into the uh, situation where somebody travels to another country. And, and, and these things, they just have a way of spiraling out of control. So suddenly we go from the media and others in the medical community and science community saying, oh, this is nothing to worry about. It's all cool. And, and then, then we realize, oops, uh, made a mistake. So, yeah, we need to implement measures. And then we start to get into these situations where we're closing borders. We've got people like President Trump saying we're not going to let any planes in from China. And, oh, he's racist for saying that. And this, that. this had nothing to do with racism or any. It had to do with what is prudent. And that's the positive takeaway from this is that we, we do what is prudent because we do want to save lives. But then, as we will see a little bit later in the show, at what point do we reach the apex where we have to say, okay, now we've taken all these extreme measures, but how long do we allow that to continue? Because at some point, people's livelihood is at stake, people's ability to put food on the table. We can't go to food banks forever, folks. There's going to be a, a time where we have to say we've got to get places open again, restaurants. And, and as we said, uh, you know, I mentioned barbershops and things like that. But, folks, it's, it's not about getting your hair cut. It's about the person who's cutting your hair. They need to work because if you don't work, you can't pay the bills. You don't work. You can't put food on the table. And we have to remember as well that, uh, look, work also gives you self-worth. And so this is really important. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves, are we going to uh, shut the whole country and the whole world down forever? Or at what point do we say, well, we need to roll this back some? Now, fortunately, I guess here in the state of Oregon, as of this Friday, May the 15th, we are looking to relax some of those restrictions. But we do have, uh, I think, maybe some extreme thinking about uh, some of these things. Uh, I'll give you an example. When people say that, uh, well, you can, okay, fine, we're going to let you go to church, but you got to, we'll just do it where you got to stay in your car. But then they get kind of crazy with the, you've got to keep your windows rolled up and this, that. Well, hey, folks, if you're listening out around the world, you may not be aware of, as people here in the metro area know very well, that in fact here in Portland, we were this Sunday, it was 87 degrees at midday. So I'm sorry, folks, you're going to keep your car windows rolled up. You can't keep the car running forever. That's not very environmental. And uh, it's not good for the car, not good for the environment. Not You could run your air conditioning if you have that, but yeah, it's not going to work, right? So what you have to do is you got to put your windows down and all that. Well, oh, you're exposing yourself to the virus. And then they, of course, said, you know, only your own family can even be in your own car. I mean, <laughs> folks, at some point I start to scratch my head and say, uh, what's going on here? Because... We've gone from what we needed to do, which was the extreme measures, but now I'm kind of wondering, you know, okay, is this uh, really necessary to continue that? And so we're going to continue to address that as we move through the show today. But folks, I, uh, you know, want to tell you real quick as well that um, since I was gone over the last two years, and believe me, I was chomping at the bit to come back on the radio because there was so much going on in the news with regard to the impeachment process, 
of our president, President Donald Trump. And I want to talk a little bit about that as well when we come back from our break, which we will go to now here. And folks, I look forward to being back with you here in just a few minutes on the Impact Radio Show. Well, welcome back to the Impact Radio Show. I guess Roger thinks, I don't know, am I the modern day warrior? Mean, mean pride. Anyway, I hope I don't. I hope I'm not too prideful. I'm trying to work on that. But uh, yeah, I got a little bit of an ego. Anyway, folks, we are talking about the pandemic, COVID-19, the coronavirus, China virus, whatever you want to call it. And how did we get here? And if we roll back a little bit, I mentioned that uh, over the last two years, I was chomping at the bit about this whole uh, thing with the impeachment of Donald Trump and this and that. But it causes me to lament a little bit about what would it have been like if ultimately the president who was voted to be impeached by the House of Representatives, that's a fact of history, just like Bill Clinton, the same and so on. The reality is that for all of history, he will be uh, marked as he's an impeached president. That's just the way it is. However, he was not convicted in the Senate and also was the case with President Bill Clinton, not convicted in the Senate. So some would say, well, you weren't convicted in the Senate, you're exonerated. Of course, the Senate is controlled by his party, the Republican Party. So who can say? But at the end of the day, the question really for me was, was he railroaded through this whole impeachment thing? Yeah, I think so. And uh, there's kind of no point to talk too much about that. But imagine if he had been convicted. And then the question is, would we have gotten better leadership from the vice president, Mike Pence? Have no idea. Have no idea, folks. But I'm actually going to say in defense of President Donald Trump, who I think has got some issues, okay? I'm not going to deny that. I mean, I've had kind of enough of his, you know, almost uh, narcissistic, over-the-top tweeting all the time, which I think he, he would do well to roll back a bit and perhaps maybe be a little bit more inclined to uh, take the advice of some of his counsel and leadership around him, though I, I'm not in those meetings, so I can't say with absolute certainty he doesn't listen to them. But I think Donald Trump's kind of mindset is, I'm the smartest guy in the room, which is probably not true, actually. I think if we're honest, there's probably a lot of people with a lot of experience that is not his own. Oh, I'm sure when it comes to real estate development and build a tall building and make a casino or a hotel or whatever— golf course. He's really great at all of that. But and I'm not saying he's bad at running the country. That's not what I'm saying. I actually think he's done a pretty good job. But you have to wonder, uh, given uh, because I say I think he's doing a pretty good job doesn't mean I think he's perfect or I think he's great. But given that I think he's done a pretty good job, here's the question. With this pandemic, how has the president handled it? Well, I think it has been a little bit chaotic in the daily briefings here and there, and certainly the president gets into the this incredible discord with the press, and I think he challenges them, rightly so, but I think the press has been a little bit over the top, and uh, well, not a little bit, actually, a lot, and at one point that really annoyed me, so I posted something about it on Facebook, much to the chagrin of many of my friends that said, Timo, you seem like you're kind of upset about the way the press is treating the president. And, and that's really what, what it was about, because I think at a certain point, can we have a little bit of decorum and respect for the president? You don't have to like the president, but at least press. Can you be a little bit respectful? But the press is there to do a job to challenge the leadership. And that's right. They need to challenge and ask hard questions. I have no problem with that. But I think when they say to the president, excuse me, Mr. President, how many deaths are acceptable? It's not a it's not a good question, because what's the president supposed to say? Oh, uh, I'm not sure. Hmm. Let me think about it. A million. You know, what is he going to say? So, of course, he's got to say none are appropriate. But then some say, but look at what you've implemented, what you did and blah, 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 blah. And it's people are going to die or whatever. Listen, folks, can you imagine being in the position where you have to make some of the hardest decisions you will ever make in your life 
knowing very well some people will die. This is what happens when a president has to send the military into a theater of war. They know very well young men and women will die. It's not a question of maybe they will or, oh, we hope it doesn't happen. No, it will happen. So in this case, the old saying, damned if you do, damned if you don't, is at what point do we, ha- do we have to say, look, the president and his team, they're doing the best that they can. Could they do better in some respects? Sure, I, I would imagine that's true. But at the end of the day, shutting the borders, uh, curbing the, the amount of flights and what countries they're coming from and so on and so forth. Can you imagine, honestly, being President Trump that just a couple weeks before the decision was made to shut the country down, the job numbers were at the, the lowest unemployment rate in the history of the United States that President Trump, he loved to take credit for that. It's not all his credit to take, but nonetheless, it's a lot of his credit to take because his administration is driving the policies by which the economy is winding up and doing extremely well, and all of a sudden it's spiraling down and and tanking. And so that's got to be pretty hard to take when all of a sudden now unemployment numbers are at the highest level since the Great Depression. Are you kidding me? So this is why I I then get back to the question, what are we going to do now? We had the extreme measures. We can look back at hindsight and say the president or the governors and all these things should have done this, could have, should have, would have. But here's the thing. We now have to start looking at where are we at several weeks into this, which, by the way, folks, in what I'm about to say with the economy in the United States, I do not in any way diminish the reality that every death is tragic. And sometimes when I think about it, I am so tenderhearted because I recognize how many people have died from this virus. And this virus is no joke, folks. This is not the flu. This is not a common cold. This is a kind of virus. It will kill you and kill you quick. And so we do have to take it serious and social distancing and all the things that we needed to do. But as I said, is the new normal normal? No, it's abnormal because it is in the human condition, not the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in fellowship with one another as communities, both local and global and so on. You know, in the, uh, in the Greek world, the word for fellowship is koinonia, but it's the idea that we are coming together, that we are in this place where we are as one. We are many, but we're one, okay? And the thing is, we have to recognize that it's not normal for us to stand six feet apart, not shake each other's hands, wearing masks everywhere we go, not being able to sit in a dining room and enjoy your dinner at a restaurant or go and sit in the barber chair or go to the hardware store or wherever you go. And this is getting nuts and crazy, folks, which is why I am an advocate for open the economy now. Because one of the questions is do you have the right, as particularly in the United States, as a citizen or a resident of this country, do you have the right to your own self-determination and the level of risk that you are willing to take on yourself? Okay, because if you don't want to risk yourself exposure to this virus, you can continue to socially isolate yourself. That is your decision. You want to go out and put a mask on and do whatever you want to do, you can do that. But the question now is whether the government is beginning to overreach, whether in the state level or the federal level or the local level, etc. Are they overreaching? And I'm starting to think, yes, they are, because it's starting to get dictatorial. For example, we had the lady in Texas who went and opened her salon And it was in defiance of the order. Now, the judge tells her, you're selfish. Is that really true? 
Is it selfish to want to earn the income you need to take care of your family? I don't think that's selfish. I think that's maternal. That's the instinct that says, I got to take care of my family. I got to do what I need to do. Now, also, if you're a restaurant owner or an owner of a bar or whatever, folks, do you realize, look, I'm not advocating go out to bars per se, but I'm saying that for a lot of people, that's their place of koinonia, of fellowship. They go there and it's to, you know, have have their adult libation and and go ahead and enjoy their beer or wine or whatever. But here's the thing. Now they're saying, okay, fine, we might go ahead and let you open, but oh, you can only let ten people in. Or or we're gonna you have to take all the bar stools away and this and that. I'm like, come on, this is getting crazy. Because at what point it's like how how is that really going to help? You can only let 10 people into your establishment. And then they said, oh, but they got to close by 10 o'clock. Seriously, folks, let me tell you something about a lot of places like institutions such as bars and, and taverns or whatever. They're just getting started at 10 o'clock, okay? Go until about, you know, 1.32 in the morning. And now, but that's not very Christian. We shouldn't be doing that, you know. Yeah, okay, folks. For those of us who are people of faith and, and subscribe to we're Christians, can we get over ourselves? Because those people who go to those places, maybe they don't subscribe to our beliefs, but they have the constitutional right to the pursuit of happiness. Well, that's in the not in the Constitution, but it's in the, the Declaration of Independence. But at some point, what is in the Constitution is, for example, the right to assemble. And when we come back from our break, I'm going to talk about this issue of, uh, for example, the Michigan governor saying that people protesting and doing what they were doing with their, you know, holding their firearms and everything was in the worst tradition of America, which I will say emphatically I disagree. It is not in the worst tradition. It's in the finest tradition. And I will explain what I mean by that when we come back from our break right here on the Impact Radio Show. Hi, folks. This is Timothy Moore, Timo. I want to thank you so much for listening to the show today. I sure enjoy being with you each and every day on the air. In order for me to continue bringing great content to the show, I need to ask for your generous financial support. To support this artistic expression of free speech, it's easy. Just go to my website, theimpactradioshow.com. That's theimpactradioshow.com. Click on the link to support the show, and there you will go to the GoFundMe page where you can make your support and contribution. Thank you so much for keeping me on the air with your financial blessing. All right. Well, Roger, you're bringing your A-game. That's yes. 90120. No, I think that that was a sitcom. <laughs> well, something like that. Anyway, that's one of my favorite albums. I got to tell you. Oh, I love it. Love it. Love it. That's awesome. Well, folks, we uh, went to the break saying uh, that I was going to talk a little bit about this issue from... Uh, the governor of Michigan saying that the protesters that were in her state were of the worst tradition of America. Uh, their signs and they're holding their firearms and the swastikas, she said. Uh, they were waving swastikas. Okay, first of all, I, the reason I'm laughing is, uh, all right, uh, of swastikas, I don't know. I wasn't there. But you know what I did? I went and started Googling and looking through a lot of photographs trying to see, can I see anybody waving flags with swastikas or something of that nature. No, but I saw a lot of don't tread on me flags and American flags and what looked to be a lot of patriots out there that were saying, uh, hey, we need to remind you, the government, who you work for. And this is the main thing, folks. When I say, oh, no, I disagree with the governor here of Michigan, uh, Governor Whit. Whitmer, uh, that in fact, why I say this is the finest tradition is because, because folks, number one, the Bill of Rights gives you the right in the First Amendment, Amendment 1, that among the rights was that you could petition 
your government for a redress of grievances. You know, you have to put yourself in the frame of mind of the time period of that time when a colonial community was fighting against the tyranny that was coming from Great Britain, from at that time England, okay, and the tyranny of the king, King George. Now, here's the thing. When you recognize that that tyranny, that tyrannical government of the time of the revolution of the United States of America, we were being told you can't own your guns, your firearms, and uh, yeah, you got a problem with taxation, too bad, you know. Uh, also, uh, protest and, and writing uh, seditious things in a newspaper, no, not going to allow it, you know, and so on. But later, when we were triumphal in the rebellion against the power that existed at that time, and the greatest world power at that time was no doubt the United Kingdom. Okay, here's the deal, folks. We as the United States recognized that the rights they would not afford us were the rights we actually want to embrace. But those rights were hard fought for because the Federalists, among others, were kind of not so sure. They, they were looking more to federal power than they were the power of the people. But let me remind you that in the United States of America, the power does not reside in Washington, not in the White House, not in the halls of Congress, not in the House of Representatives or the Senate or the Supreme Court or at the local state levels where you have in the governors uh, of the respective states or even the mayoral offices and so on. Oh, no, folks, the power doesn't reside there. The power resides in you. We, the people, it says, in order to uh, form a more perfect union, right, do ordain this Constitution. Now, I'm trying to remember this from uh, memory because I don't have it up on my computer, but folks, remember then in the, in the Declaration, it says things like the pursuit of happiness, that you have the right to pursue happiness. That's what they believed. They believed that very right, inalienable right, came from God the Creator. That is what they believed. And the question is, is that that's so foundational in the American way of thinking that when the dissenters were saying to the Federalists and so on, no, 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 no. We need to put rights in the Constitution. They fought hard for the first 10 amendments, which became the Bill of Rights and Amendment 1, of course, giving the right to protest, the right to address your government and say, you know, sort of a, like, here's your hand, and you take the back of your hand, and you smack, 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 and you say, and then you point your bony finger at the government and say, listen up. If you don't do what we want, the people, we're going to run you out. And that's exactly the way it is supposed to be because the framers recognized the true power resided in the people. So the people are saying now, okay, we get it. We needed extreme measures during this pandemic. But now isn't it time for us to, can we please get back to doing our normal life? Because we have a way of life here in America, folks. We have a way of life. And, and that way of life is afforded to us because we have rights. You have rights to free press. You have rights to go to church and have your religion or go to your, uh, your local synagogue or to your, if you're Muslim, to your house of worship and so on, okay? You have rights, okay? You have rights to not believe in anything in terms of God or religion, and you have a right. You want to go to the bar and get your drink? You have the right to do that. You want to go over to this place or that place or national parks, for example, that your taxes pay for? You have rights, and since it says also in the Declaration to pursue happiness, folks, I got to ask you, you feeling very happy that you got to be socially isolated and 
and be like, you know, some guy yelling at you with the bullhorn, you know, again, the, okay, now remember, you're going to be like six feet, be your six feet apart, huh, sir, back up, sir, sir. You know, at a certain point, it's like, like I said, Sig Heil. It's like, what, what happened? Now, back to this thing about looking for the, the swastikas and the pictures. Folks, if anything, I'm not saying there aren't some white supremacists out there that's trying to stir up trouble. That's what they do, okay? White supremacists stir up trouble. The Black Panthers stir up trouble. Whatever. I don't care about them. And none of us do anyway, and we dismiss them because they're nonsensical anyway. We don't need those people. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're seeing swastikas, most likely, most likely, it is because those people are pointing the idea that the swastika and the fascist thinking is what the government is doing. And they put these restrictions in place, such as they say, well, you need to apply to see if it's okay for you to open up, because if you don't comply with our rules, then uh, you can't do it. So, for example, here in the state of Oregon, each county has to petition our uh, state capital, Salem, and our governor and the leadership there in our state for permission to open up all of the county services, such as our parks and whatever, and then those businesses that reside within that county and, and so on. Uh, folks, let me tell you something. I'm don't, I am not advocating sedition, okay? Well, I, I told Roger earlier they're probably going to come arrest me or something, but here's the thing. You know, first of all, we are not the American people going to go out there, start goose-stepping, you know, be good little Nazis, okay? No. We are individuals who have the value for our right to self-determination, okay? I want to assume my own risk. I can do it. But let me tell you something. When a woman opens up her shop and they want to arrest her, and you also have a lady here in Oregon where that's the same situation and so on, Folks, here's the thing. Can we, can we remember something that's super important, okay? Again, you have the right to assume your own risk. So here's the deal. Arrest you? That's ridiculous. So, you know, if all of the people went out right now, everybody who owns their, their businesses, their local shops, their, you know, shoe repair places, their restaurants, their nail salons, the barber, uh, the, the bars, the little small mom-pa stores, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There aren't enough police to arrest you. Okay, now I'm not saying just go and defy the orders. That's, I'm not advocating that. But in a way, what I'm saying is at a certain point, because the power is reserved to the people, right? Okay, granted, the Constitution talks about federal authority, federal power, state and local authority. But at the end of the day, whether federal, whether state, local, whatever, who are the people who are actually in charge? You, the people, the ones socially isolating, the ones staying six feet behind and social distancing and wearing a mask when you go into your local store. Okay, You are the government. And don't forget for one second how important it is to remind our governors and the president. Mr. Trump, hello, Donald Trump. Real quick reminder for you. Also, hello, Nancy Pelosi. Hello, Chuck Schumer. Hello, Mitch McConnell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, hello, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You work for us. Don't you ever forget that. Because even when, the day you forget that and the day you say that protesting is in the worst tradition of America— well, folks, that's the stuff of revolution, okay? Like I said, there aren't enough police to arrest you. Well, what are they going to do? Send out the military? Send out the National Guard? No, that's the stuff of revolution. And you have to challenge them on this. Now, I will not put it past some of the what could be ulterior motives that come with the question of why some would say, well, we don't want to open you. Ah, we want to save lives, well, I don't dispute whether that's sincere or not. Maybe that is really true. They want to save lives. I want to save lives. 
But you know, folks, you're not necessarily saving lives when you try to be so sterilized as a society that we're no longer recognizable as the nation, the great nation that we have always been. Folks, if we don't get back to the the economy that's thriving and just spinning up with such incredible force, by the way, not only good for us, but that's good for the whole world, then what's going to really happen is there will be food shortages. There will be people that are dying because they couldn't get the medical help that they needed, couldn't get even their elective services for the medical and so on. Uh, people who couldn't uh, get outside or go to their gymnasiums to uh, exercise and all the things. Folks, here's the thing. We are not wired that way. We're wired to be active, to be out in our communities. The more we sit at home, the more it's not good for our well-being, and thus the pursuit of happiness is curtailed. You're no longer happy. You're feeling sad. You're feeling depressed. And when you start feeling depressed, that's when you start going cuckoo. That's when you're going to have people that say, that's it, I've had enough, and then they're going to go postal and they're going to do something they shouldn't do. You know, that's the issue that we've got to recognize. And when uh, Governor Whitmer says, uh, well, I didn't like that they had their firearms, well, that gets back again to our constitutional rights. You have the right to bear arms. It didn't say you have the right just to keep them on the shelf or put them in the back of your Chevy pickup, you know, or keep them in your safe, or where, no, you, you have the right to brandish. Now, granted, we curtail that with rule of law, which I'm in agreement with. I think having permits for certain things and this and that, hey, I'm all fine with that. But I want to tell you something, folks. Remember, something changed dramatically when our country made a shift from calling rights privileges. No, no, no. A right is a right. It's not a privilege. It's a right. It means you get to do it. Okay? I have the right to speak my mind here on the radio. I have the right to bear arms. I have the right to go to church. I have the right to go to my local bar. I have the right to go get my hair cut. Okay? And we're going to so easily give away our rights that actually the blood of patriots spilled to secure those rights? You see, what I say, I want to keep this message positive. Well, I want to say one last thing before we go to our break. Part of what's keeping it positive is when you remember to remind our leaders who they work for. And I'm going to say this again. Mr. President, Madam Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, etc. You folks should be ashamed of yourself that you have this discord and can't get along because too much is at stake for us not to work through these issues and now you make it all about yourself? No, no, no. Get over yourself. One of you guys has got to take the high road here and be willing to compromise for the good and the sake of the American people and not just American people but for the whole world because if America goes down to the sewer... So goes the rest of the world, folks. That's my firm and established belief. Well, folks, we're going to take another break. When we come back, I'm going to pivot here a little bit, and we're going to talk about Vice President, now Democratic, presumptive nominee Joe Biden and the sexual assault allegations against him here on the Impact Radio Show. Well, folks, I got to tell you something. That is none other than, I believe, the song is Sledgehammer. Am I right on that? Yeah. And that's such an appropriate song because, you know something, folks, before we get into the Joe Biden thing, I'll just make this last comment about the coronavirus, COVID-19. You know, something about a virus like that, whether it's the N1H1 from the uh, 1918 pandemic or we're talking about bird flu, or we're talking about the common cold, or we're talking about uh, whatever with regard to viruses. Viruses are very one-dimensional in that uh, they, they only do what they're basically programmed to do. I don't believe in evolution, but I will say however they've adapted. Here's the thing. They're up against the incredible 
human mind, the mind that is a mind of science, the mind of medicine. And at the end of the day, folks, coronavirus, COVID-19 is going to lose. We're going to take a sledgehammer to that virus. Okay, we're going to knock it down. And now I'm starting to talk like the old preacher I used to be. Hallelujah. But I'm telling you something, folks, we're going to take down that virus. So this too shall pass. It is not going to last forever. And that's, in a way, bad news for those people that, as I said, sort of maybe have an ulterior motive for the sake of a potential election transition to the other side, uh, whereby if the economy is, as I said, kind of in the toilet, in the sewer or whatever, that's to their benefit. Well, you know, you think I'm crazy, but people like Bill Maher said as much, well, I can only hope that we have a really serious recession or even a depression because that means the other guy's going to get elected. Well, you know something? Thanks a lot for caring so much for people. Supposedly you want to, uh, let me put this in quotes, save lives? Seriously? No, no, no. You don't want to save lives because if you did, you wouldn't be wishing for the economy to tank. Okay, we don't want that to happen. We want the economy to thrive because thriving is good. When, when we're thriving, it means people are donating. When they're donating, they're giving money to the causes they believe in and all these things because they're prospering. Prospering is good. By the way, you can't. how do you shut down a capitalist society? It's at the very foundation of who we are. It's the backbone of who we are. So, folks, elections matter for that reason. And as long as we continue to remind our politicians, you work for us, then think carefully, who will you vote for? Because at the end of the day, one of them is going to be beneficial and the other one, maybe not so much. I don't know. So that brings us to who is the presumptive nominee for the Democrat Party? Well, it's Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden. But here's something that I find extraordinary. There is a woman by the name of Tara Reid who a long time ago in the past when Vice President Joe Biden was actually a senator. And here's the deal. She uh, alleges that she was assaulted by the Vice President of Barack Obama's administration, Joseph Biden. Now here's the thing, folks. I find it very remarkable how many people are dismissing this and saying, ah, you know, it's not a big deal, or we don't trust her motivation, et cetera, et cetera. Well, excuse me, but if you're going to be that dismissive, well, that's bad news for the Me Too movement because that is incredibly hypocritical when Brett Kavanaugh, at the time he was the nominee for the Supreme Court under President Donald Trump, uh, everyone was saying, you got to believe this woman, uh, Miss or Miss, Mrs., uh, Ms. or Miss Ford, Blase Ford, what, uh, you know, the point here is simply that everybody was saying, I believe her. We have to believe her. We have to do that. And they would forget about, remember, Brett Kavanaugh also was supposed to be afforded due process. But he's being found guilty in the court of public opinion by the media and everybody else. And people all of a sudden threw due process out the window. Well, I believe the same for Vice President Joe Biden, the presumptive nominee of the Democrat Party. He should be afforded due process. But at the same time, don't for one second say, well, we don't really have to believe Tara Reid because, yes, you do. And until she is proven to not have credibility, then yes, we do need to give her the platform and her day in the sun, as it were, and to be able to address uh, Vice President uh, Joe Biden, uh, again, former vice president. But the thing is, is that he denies that any of this happened. And then when he's confronted with, why don't you open up some of the records that are sealed right now and this and that? Well, he's kind of like, you know, who's going to open them and why should I do that? And, you know, it didn't happen and this and that. Well, excuse me, but if we're going to say we believe what Tara Reid has said, then we, we need to have this man who is the accused in this case, and he is innocent until proven that he's actually guilty, 
But in that situation, it's like, yeah, you need to open these records and let's look into this. Now, I will remind you that uh, anytime you have a situation where somebody in a position of power is taking advantage of somebody lower, the question that gets uh, brought up and, and that arises in the discussion is, well, why did she wait so long? Why didn't she come out sooner? Why didn't this? Why didn't that? Well, listen, once again, that's disingenuous because anybody who has been a victim and women, you know this very well. And my heart goes out to you because when you are a victim of rape or assault or uh, groping and all those things, and, and come on, let's face it, Joe Biden never met a shoulder or a cheek or anything that he didn't want to, you know, uh, grab and and kiss or whatever. But, you know, like, I don't know. That's just like Uncle Joe and we're supposed to turn a blind eye to it or whatever. Look, I'm not accusing him of, of being like he loves to grope women or anything like that because I don't know. But the fact of the matter is there is just lots of video showing him doing what many would say was inappropriate behavior. So at that point, you got to say, well, uh, are we are we going to believe this woman, Tara Reid, or not? Because she needs the opportunity to be heard, and Joe Biden needs to answer that question. And if we don't say we believe, it's not fair to her, and it isn't fair to other women. The issue of waiting for a long time to come out is because women are victimized. Women are marginalized when they come out. And that's what's happening to her, Tara Reid, right now. Well, we're not sure we believe her. What's her motivation? So that only adds to the credibility of why she would wait or not want to bring it out. Okay? So we have to be super careful here. We need to listen and, and I think, assess what's going on here. All right. Now, folks, uh, as we uh, get ready to close up the show, I just want to encourage you here to remember something. This is super important. This too will pass. Coronavirus is not going to win. Remember, inside of you, folks, is the unlimited capacity to do great things. So get out and be great. Volunteer. Give your life, love, and action and help people to realize that we can be positive here. We can be loving. We can be encouraging. We can be inspirational. And that's what I hope for. Remember, if you want to learn more about the show, go to theimpactradioshow.com. You can also email me at theimpactradioshow at gmail.com. Once again, folks, inside of you is the unlimited capacity to do great things. We'll see you here tomorrow.